Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Amen. Would you stay standing? Would you stay standing for just a moment? Father, we, uh, we speak the name of Jesus this morning uh, because it's the only name in heaven, uh, under the earth, above the earth, God, anything where we can find our hope, our peace, our strength, our healing. So God, for every person who's walking in with anxiety, walking in with discouragement, walking in on the brink of despair, God, we just speak, we speak the name of Jesus. And Lord, we receive from you the good that you have in store for us. We receive your blood for cleansing. We receive your grace for healing. We receive you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning again, and welcome to Horizon West Church. If you uh, couldn't tell from some of the things that you've already seen this morning, God is at work here at this church, and we are celebrating the move of God in and through our lives. Um, In fact, this evening, you heard Holly mention the beach baptisms We're excited. We've got over 100 people across the First Orlando campuses, including 12 that are part of Horizon West Church who will be baptized at Cocoa Beach. And we're so excited by that. We're excited to see the movement of God in the lives of people. If you were here last Sunday, you heard Pastor David Loveless talk about God's dream for your life. Maybe the language you've heard in the past is purpose or plan. And David challenged us with this idea that God has a dream for your life that he has never once given up on. And the truth is, that is not hard to believe when things are going really, really well. Uh, When you're standing on the stage saying, I do, to your spouse, saying, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, in good times and bad, forsaking all others, I pledge myself to you alone for as long as we both shall live. I've said it a handful of times because I officiate, not because I've been married a number of times. However, it's locked away. It's in my memory. That was the vow that I made. And it's easy to believe that God has a dream for you in that moment. It's easy to believe when you get into the dream college or you land the dream job. As you enter the waters of baptism, it is not hard to go, yes, God, you have a plan for me. When it gets tough to believe is when the divorce papers come in the mail. When you stumble again over that same stubborn sin that you've asked God a hundred times to free you of. When the coursework becomes overwhelming, when you get the notice that you've been laid off, do we then still believe that God has a dream for us and that he has not yet given up? David reminded us last week that it was Jeremiah 29, 11, while the people of God were in exile in Babylon, that he told them, I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. But sometimes we ask ourselves in the middle of our our life's journey, we say, what went wrong? (laughs) Like, I thought that was the right relationship. I thought that was the dream job. I thought everything was just going to get better and better, and yet I find myself in this situation where it has not gotten better. And what is true for individuals can also become true of churches. If I'm honest, there's times over our four and a half year journey at Horizon West Church, I've said, man, what went wrong? <laughs> and the answer is COVID. But beyond that, it was also, it was also times where I said, man, am, am I not the right 
person? Are, is this not the right team? Do we not have the right ideas? Like, like what has happened to put us in a place where we feel frustrated, discouraged? We're not sure God is at work anymore. Now, in this season, I'm thanking God that we're a far cry from where we were. In this season, it isn't hard for me to believe that God's dream for Horizon West Church is alive and well. It's not hard because we're seeing people saved and baptized. We're seeing attendance increase. Our giving is strong. And we say, yes, praise God for all of that. And yet, whether as individuals or as churches, we know that sometimes the way gets hard. Sometimes it feels like we've taken a wrong turn. Uh, Once upon a time, there was a issue on the interstate where a driver had begun going northbound on a southbound lane. And this was in the days when everybody still listened to the radio. And the radio came on in the airwaves and said, uh, we want to notify all of those who are going northbound on the interstate that there is somebody going the wrong direction going southbound. In the middle of their public service announcement, the phone at the radio station rang and there was an older woman on the line, and she said, you need to know it's not just one person going the wrong way. They're all going the wrong way. <laughs> Sometimes we take a wrong turn, and we don't know we're the problem, right? Taylor Swift would remind us otherwise. But nonetheless, sometimes it's me, right? Sometimes it's I have taken a wrong turn. And what happened for the church that we're going to look at together today in 1 Corinthians is that as a church, they had turned the wrong direction in some really important areas. Where once the Apostle Paul had founded this church that was thriving and growing and people were being saved, just a few years later, he's writing saying, guys, you're going the wrong way. And if you persist in this wrong direction, just like it would happen on the interstate, you're headed for real trouble. Somebody said this about the church at Corinth. There was a church in Corinth, but there was a lot of Corinth in the church. In other words, what was true of the surrounding culture was becoming more and more true of those inside of the church. In his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Eugene Peterson said, all the water in the ocean can do nothing to harm a ship unless it gets inside the boat. And the Corinthians had, in an unguarded way, let the water of the surrounding culture get inside of their boat, and their faith, along with the effectiveness of the church, was beginning to sink. And so Paul is in 1 Corinthians chapters 3 and 4, going to address four really important areas in which they had turned the wrong way. These deal with the areas of wisdom, judgment, success, and leadership. Wisdom, judgment, success, and leadership. We're going to walk through each of those in just a moment here. First, let's look at the issue of wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 begins in this way. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he may become wise. Because the wisdom is, uh, of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Paul comes out of the gate with what may be his strongest rebuke or admonition to the church. He says, let no one deceive himself. In Paul's view and in the view of the New Testament, the wisdom of the world is not just insufficient to the gospel— It's the exact opposite of the gospel. 
the wisdom of the world says, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, get smart enough, strong enough, wise enough to go it alone, and the wisdom of God says something entirely different. Worldly wisdom leads to pride, which is the essence of foolishness. Richard Dawkins, maybe one of the brightest minds of our day, a molecular biologist who has contributed much to scientific discovery and and is, in fact, a brilliant man, and yet listen to his approach to religion or to faith. This is what Dawkins says about it. Religion is capable of driving people to such dangerous folly that faith seems to me to qualify as a kind of mental illness. To translate Richard Dawkins, if you don't agree with me, you're an idiot. Never mind the fact that most people in all of history and in all parts of the world have believed in one God or another. The wisdom of this world can stand against all of that and say, but you're not as smart as me because I've figured everything out. Scripture says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is when we get to the edge of our own intellect and understanding and say, there is a whole lot that I don't understand. Can I encourage us even in matters of faith? There is a lot in theology that I don't yet understand. And so the wisdom of the world would say, just get enough letters behind your name that no one questions you. The wisdom of the gospel is different than that. It sounds like what James encouraged in James 3.13 when he said, who is wise and understanding among you? By their good conduct, let them show their works in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness is literally just means to have an unassuming uh, persona or, or even an unimpressive personality. The meek person is the one who can walk into the room and be unnoticed. They don't have to win every argument or dominate every conversation. They can slip into the back and and relate in one-on-one environments. They can support the success of others. And scripture says that that kind of mentality is wisdom, but the world says it's foolishness. So let's look then together at what the Corinthians had gone wrong. They had subscribed to a type of wisdom, which is cultural, that leads to boasting. And Paul's going to encourage them in the wisdom of the kingdom toward belonging. Now, I don't think of belonging as kind of like a connection to wisdom, but that is actually the point that Paul is going to make in the passage. Because the problem with the arrogance that comes from cultural wisdom is that it is increasingly self-isolating. The wise of the world aren't really able to associate with those who aren't as intelligent as them. People that don't have degrees behind their names. And increasingly, the world of the wisdom puts distance between the person and others. And Paul says, no, the wisdom of God works differently. The wisdom of God invites us into connection with people and with God. This is what Paul's driving at when he says, everything is yours. You have access to almost everything there is in the universe because wisdom leads to humility. And in humility, all of a sudden, no one is too small for me to notice. No one is too lost for me to love. And in a posture of humility, I can come into relationship through God by faith in Jesus. Humility, which leads to wisdom, connects us to brothers and sisters in Christ. It leads to belonging. Paul ends with saying, all things are yours. Paul, Apollo, Cephas, we're going to get to some of those names in a moment. The point is belonging. Let's go to the second one. Paul then addresses the issue of judgment. Turn with me to chapter 4 and verses 1 through 5. 
This is how one should regard us, meaning the apostles, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing if I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. And then each one will receive his commendation from God. That's a tricky word because it sounds like condemnation. That's not what Paul is saying. To be commended, Paul says, when, when we stand before God, it's God who will give us our rewards and our commendation. Now, looking at that passage, you probably didn't realize that Tupac was quoting the Apostle Paul when he said, only God can judge me. My hunch is he didn't know that either. However, there it is. Paul says, look, I have one judge, and it's not you. My my judge is God. He alone will judge me. Now, Paul is not being dismissive of Christian accountability. He's not dismissing criticism that could come his way. I tell teams I lead and, and people who are on, in organizations that report to me, I say, look, one of the most important habits that you can develop is to open yourself to constructive criticism. Because we all have some insecurities, and when somebody criticizes our work or something that we're doing or something about us, our tendency is to get our boxing gloves up and defend ourselves because it's hard to hear. And yet, one of the most mature things and one of the most maturing things you can do is receive what people are saying and go, is that true of me? Is is it true that I come across that way? Is it true that I'm not leading the way that I should be? And in humility, wisdom, we can then begin to process people's judgment in healthy ways. But Paul says, listen, when it comes to judgment, don't take part in it. One of the verses that people often go to when it comes to Christian accountability or judgment is Matthew chapter 7. You remember where Jesus says, why are you so preoccupied with a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye when there is a plank in your own eye? And so people go, look, see, you're not supposed to notice my sin. But they don't realize that Jesus finishes the thought in this way. He says, first, remove the plank from your own eye so that you will be able to remove the speck of sawdust from your brother's eye. So Paul is not saying, don't hold people accountable. He's giving them a different way to process that and saying, in your holding others accountable, don't assume that you are then their judge. I would give quick two principles when it comes to Christian accountability. Number one, always be quicker and more critical in addressing your own sin than that of others. Every single one of us has blind spots. Every one of us has areas of defensiveness. But One of the reasons that our world and especially our nation is in the situation that it is, is nobody wants to hear where they're wrong. They just want to blame the other guy. And if if the people on that side of the aisle, if the people in that church, if my wife would just, if my husband would only, and we're always throwing stones and never opening ourselves up to the possibility that maybe there's things in our own life that could be changed. So be quicker with your own sin. And then secondly, trust God to deal with the sins of others in his way and in his time. This is exactly the nail that Paul is hitting on the head when he says, don't pronounce judgment before the time. In other words, there is a time coming when God, who is the judge of the world, will do his work. The way this looks in my home is I have three children between the ages of seven and ten. 
You can pray for me. And my wife and I often find ourselves in situations where one of the three children is trying to behaviorally manage the other, right? And I will simply step in and say, girls, he has a parent. Or son, she has a parent, right? And, and what I'm implying is, I'm up to the task of managing my own children. Like, I don't need you to correct their behavior. I don't need you to, like, prescribe punishments. Like, I think we should give him this consequence. It's like, I don't need that. In fact, I question whether you think I'm up to the task of being a parent. Like, why do you think I need your help? Chances are, in two minutes, I'm going to be correcting your behavior. And we laugh, but we do the same thing. God, you need to go after this guy. You need to step in here, and God's going, I, I got this. I got this. I, I can handle this. R Romans chapter 14, verse 4, another place that Paul goes to, he says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands and falls, and he will be held up or upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Translation, God is up to the task of being the judge. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need to slide over on his throne of judgment to make room for you. He's got it. And so the cultural po posture when it comes to issues of judgment, the cultural posture is one of condemning, whereas kingdom posture is one of trusting. Now, I don't know how you feel about this, but increasingly, I, I know the church has had plenty of its issues, and part of the problem is that we've never been willing to look ourselves in the mirror. But can I be honest with you? Increasingly, I see the church trying to bend over backwards to exemplify grace and compassion and openness. Man, the world is a hard place to be right now. The world is preaching condemnation through a megaphone. I think the church needs to be the place where we can receive grace, where we can trust God enough to go, God, I, I trust that one day you're going to set everything right. One day your kingdom will come fully. Your will will be done as in heaven. And we trust and lean into our faith that God is who he says he is. Paul then goes from there to address the issue of success. Chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. You can follow along with me. I have applied all of these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers and sisters, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, so that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. For who sees anything different in you? Who, what do you uh, have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have everything you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings. And would that you really did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as the last of all, like men sentenced to death because we've become a spectacle to the world and also to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To this present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things." This is one of the most challenging passages in the Bible for commentators and, and scholars to unpack. It's kind of like, what is Paul doing in these verses? In one sense, it seems like he's affirming their faith. You're, you're strong in Christ. But at the same time, it seems like he's uh, uh, challenging them or maybe even deriding them. 
I tend to lean in this direction because what I think Paul is doing is he's bringing full circle a thought that he began at the very opening of the letter. If you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, what he's getting onto in the Corinthian church is the idea that they're saying, hey, I follow Paul, who is the founder of the church, or I follow Apollos, who was a great speaker, or I follow Peter, who walked with Jesus, and by elevating and, uh, and uh, pitting the apostles against each other, and then tying themselves to that wagon, they could determine who among them was really spiritual, who among them was really successful in the eyes of God. And Paul's going to flip all of that on its head by showing once again that the kingdom of God works in exactly opposite ways from the kingdom of the world. In the kingdom of God, it's the meek who inherit the earth. It is the last who are first. It is children who are majority shareholders in God's kingdom. And it's Jesus who said, the greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so I believe what Paul is doing is having established the upside down nature of the kingdom, he's now going to point out that the places the Corinthians are succeeding are in the things that don't matter. He's going, look at you Corinthians, you're so smart, you're so well off, you're so well respected, good for you. Meanwhile, we're persecuted, we're chased out of town, we're mocked. And I think the, the Corinthians are reading the letter going, yeah, yeah, he's affirming us. He's, he's, wait, what is he doing? He's showing us that we've been barking up the wrong tree. He's showing us that, that we've evaluated success by the metrics of the world and not by the kingdom of God. Cultural success then is self-oriented, where kingdom success is service-oriented. In the kingdom of God, it's not about how smart or how wealthy or how well-respected I can get. It's about using all of the gifts that God has given me to serve and bless others. By the way, this is exactly how Jesus lived, how Jesus taught, and how Jesus died. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. I was listening earlier this week to NPR and I was introduced to an individual I had never heard of, never come across, a guy named A.G. Gaston. Got a picture of him behind me. He was a uh, part of the civil rights movement in Birmingham, Alabama. He started out in a coal mine, ended up starting a funeral home that he then took the money from and bought a hotel in Birmingham. In fact, the Gaston Hotel is where Fred Shuttlesworth and Martin Luther King Jr. planned the Children's March in the 1960s in Birmingham. And this guy became exorbitantly wealthy. In fact, at the point of his death, even back then, it's estimated he owned $120 million as an entrepreneur. But this is what A.G. Gaston said, and that was quoted on the radio station. He said, I never thought about making money. I just saw what people needed, and I tried to meet the need. It's that simple. Let me ask you a question. In your work, are you more concerned with what you can get or what you can give? I want to specifically address those that are C-level leaders, or maybe you've started a company, or you're the owner of a company. Is your business model one about what can we get from people, or is it about what has God put in our hands that we can bless the world with, that we can serve others through? Another way to say that is, are you more concerned with profits or people? There are plenty of companies that only care about profits. We could start naming them. I won't do that. We don't need another one. 
What we need is people who understand the kingdom orientation around success and go, Jesus, help me make a difference in the lives of other people. And whether God blesses us financially or whether we're scraping by, we can get to the end of life and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because we lived for the things that mattered most. We have an example of this and probably several in our own church. I'll share one. My good friend Kristen Beston uh, for many years was very profitable in his business, but somewhere along the way realized God had more for him, and he changed the orientation of his approach to business from one of self-orientation and profits to one of service orientation and people. In reading Matthew chapter 5, one day he came across Jesus' words and said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify others. And the model and the mission statement for his business from that day forward became to shine. To to shine with the light of Jesus in the world. Did you know that the principles that came out of Chris's uh, discovery in Matthew chapter 5 are the very ones that our own William and Shiloh use in their work with entrepreneurs in Nigeria? The other day I was on a a Zoom call and and William's first words to these young entrepreneurs, they've got big ideas, they're going to change Nigeria and it it really is an awesome thing. William said, hey, first thing you need to know, the opportunity that's before you is not simply about making money, it's about making a difference in the world. See, this is what Paul is getting to. He's saying, guys, you're killing it. If I look at you by the standards of the world, you're doing fantastic. The problem is you've got nothing to show for real spiritual kingdom work. And because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, that's in Scripture, When we are self-oriented, we find wind of resistance in our face. But when we pivot, the Bible uses the word repentance, when we pivot, and we start going in the service-oriented way of the kingdom, we find the wind of God at our backs. God wants to help and support, and even Scripture says exalt, those who will put Him and other people first. Final one. Fourth one that Paul's going to address is on the issue of leadership. It bleeds right out of these same concepts, but it's in verse 14 of chapter 4. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be an imitator of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. But some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. I will come to you soon if the Lord's wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but in power. So what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and in a gentle spirit? How many of you ever went on a tour of any kind where there was a tour guide? Maybe in a new city or a school trip? Put your hand up if you've done this, okay? Leave it up for just a second. Leave it up. How many of you can remember the name of your tour guide? One. Okay. There were zero in the first service. So so here's the point that I think Paul is making. He says, Corinthians, you've been getting by on tour guides, You've had people saying, hey, here's this really cool thing in the Bible, or here's this really way, uh, a really cool new way to live. He said, you've been having people give you information, but you need something more than a guide. You need a parent who can nurture you, who can show you how to walk and to talk and to hold your own spoon and to make healthy decisions. In other words, what you need is not information, but transformation. 
And the reality in our world today is there are plenty of people on YouTube and podcasts and TikTok and the rest who are ready to be your guide and show you some new cool thing in the Bible, and there's nothing wrong with that if it's truth. The problem is more and more people are getting addicted to guides and being disconnected from local churches where pastors and brothers and sisters can walk with them and see transformation in their lives. I'll be honest, I, the church in America has not done itself a lot of favors because many pastors themselves have been more about the information than the transformation. It's possible we've been guilty of that at times. But this is why this matters. In the culture, leadership is transactional. That's what a guy does. He says, here's where this uh, battle was fought. Here's what this statue of this person is. But in the kingdom, leadership is not transactional. It's relational. It's the steady walk of someone who knows you, who loves you, and who's committed to your well-being. That's what Paul says in verse 20. The kingdom of God does not consist in talk, think information. It consists in power, which is transformation. I thank God that at Horizon West Church, we're seeing not only people get more and more informed in their head about the things of God. What we're seeing is real transformation in the lives of people. I've never before in all of my ministry, including with students, college students, young adults, and now as a campus pastor, I've never had more conversations about faith, salvation, and baptism than I've had in the last three months. God is doing something. And what God wants to do is not just open up our minds and go, hey, that was a great message. That was a great teaching. Or open up our Bibles and go, hey, I learned something. That's good. The question becomes, what is it changing in your life? How is it changing the way that you relate with your spouse or your children or your parents? How is it changing the way that you approach your work? How is it changing the thoughts and the attitudes of your heart? God is in the business of transformation. It's transformation that Pastor David reminded us last week is the work of God and testified to it in his own life. It is transformation that our Celebrate Recovery ministry is seeing every Monday night as they meet with those who have identified the need to to grow and to transform in their lives. And it's transformation that we're seeing in the lives of now 20 people who have been baptized since Easter Sunday here at Horizon West Church. God is a God of transformation. And so whatever it is in your life where you're coming to that place of going, what went wrong? In my relationship, in my spiritual life with my children, God, what went wrong? May I invite you to know that there's a God who wants to intercept and intersect with you and bring the transformation that you desperately need. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the reminder in your word about what kingdom values look like, what kingdom perspective looks like. God, just really simply, I'm thankful for the Bible because I I'm not smart enough to figure out life without it. And God, for every man, woman, teenager, child, every person in the room, those watching online, God, who's coming to a place in life where they've tried to figure it out on their own, they've tried to sort through the mess in their own strength, God, would you meet them at their place of need? Once again, God, we speak the name of Jesus into that situation and over that individual. And God, would you remind us of who we truly are? We're not those who go astray. We're not those who fail in the end. We're not those who who face your judgment and wrath, but we're those who have been saved, who have been renewed, and who are being transformed by the work of your Holy Spirit. Would you do it even more, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.